Welcome to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Suryadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com slash Suryadas. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Be Here Now Network's Awakening Now podcast. I'm Lama Suryadas. This is my podcast. We do this regularly. And it's nice to be with you today. And this week, it's a good time to wake up together. There's so much going on in the world, especially now, and even today and this week. And I have a friend here, my good friend, my hairstylist, a designer, right here, David Fisher. That's me. Of Somerville, Massachusetts. Cambridge, but thank Cambridge, you. Massachusetts, <laughs> yes. I'm proud of it. Cambridgeville. And uh, I thought David and I would have a nice dialogue about things since he's from another generation than I, the Gen X, and he has some views from the far side, as I lovingly call it. But um, these days, even our president seems to be like a bull in a concept shop. So I think it's, it'd be a good talk. And thanks for coming, David. And how are you today? What are you thinking about? Um, I'm well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the Be Here Now Network for sponsoring you and thereby allowing me to share my voice with you. Um, I'm well. It's been a busy, hectic week. Um, What's going on? Well, why hectic? Um, Life is so peaceful. Uh, uh, is it? Uh, I don't know how peaceful it is for everyone. Um, seeing what we've seen in the world and in Charlottesville, Virginia, um, the resurgence and the validation of uh, neo-Nazi groups and um, alt-right groups in American culture and there seeming to be a top-down validation um, of these people from... Um, what do you mean, like from the president and the yeah, government down? Yeah, from the president, you know. And uh, I have a lot of questions about how people are going to move forward, you know, with regard to um, this incident that seems to have brought up a lot of um, ugly, um, ugly points that have been, you know, festering in our culture for forever, it would seem. And uh, how do we honor um, the death of um, an innocent counter-protester who um, was raising her voice against oppression and white supremacy, etc.? Yes, that um, young woman. Yes, Heather Hare. Um, so. I would encourage um, people, if they have not um, had an opportunity to see her parents and family speak at the memorial service that was given um, in her honor, to view that. And um, it seems that her mother um, 
has voice, given voice to um, maybe not an absolute uh, voice of forgiveness for her murderer, but definitely, you know, wanting to bring the conversation forward and bring to uh, to the world um, an awareness of what we can do to honor people who have uh, departed this realm, you know, at the hands of others, and how we honor the make their make their deaths more meaningful. Yes, I, I was very impressed by her saying that, and her evolved and compassionate response, and almost as you said, forgiving, and not that let her do young daughter's death be without meaning mm -hmm. by falling into more bitterness and uh, separateness and revenge scenarios and so on. And it has uncovered, again, this very deep and long-standing racism that we have in this country and elsewhere, of course, a very unfortunate, even after having President Obama, a person of color and other things, of course, I'm a 60s guy, so we lived through the civil rights movements and feminism. But when I read or hear Martin Luther King Jr., the Reverend King, or James Baldwin, the great and seminal black writer who moved to Paris to get away from racism and spoke out so much in the 50s and 60s uh, and 70s even, not much has changed from that point of view, surprisingly. And the things they say are still relevant, and we have gone far, admittedly, but there's far to go. And especially these days, things are moving so fast, it seems, and the fast new media and fast communications, and it's very hard to slow down enough to take a breath and pay attention and see where we are here and now and what we may be doing, mostly unconsciously, no doubt, to perpetrate systemic abuse and exploitation and oppression and to weed out i believe the roots of anger and selfishness and greed and hatred in our own hearts and minds because it all really uh, begins there and uh, i marched in the 60s in washington and was tear gassed in front of the pentagon and the treasury department protesting peacefully protesting i might add with mm -hmm. huge numbers of crowds 100,000 people at least, I'm sure, the Vietnam War and the secret bombings of Cambodia. And the information gap, as we called it then, was so bad between the government and the news and the public. We couldn't really find out what was happening. Secret bombings of Cambodia by the president and by Henry Kissinger, his secretary of state, very hawkish people. But uh, these days, especially with the alternative reality and fake facts and fake news that we're dealing with. It's not just spin. It's almost made out of nothing. It's very hard to understand no. what's going on, have a clear picture of how to respond, not just blindly react, and how to go forward together, not just splinter apart in these divisive times, as you said, perhaps even divisive from the top down, although we, we all know and it's printed in our... Um, public domain, united, we stand, divided, we fall, but we forget. And even in these days of diversity, we have to see the unity and diversity and see through the illusion of separateness. Otherwise, we're all gonna, we sink or swim, rise and fall together, and we're all going to sink into this swamp. Well, I think also how we perceive information in this time in which we live 
you know, everything that we do by way of information and media is now a consumer choice, which may or may not be an informed consumer choice. People don't generally read to the end of the paragraph if they can find a <laughs> bullet point that coincides with the opinion that they already maintain. And it's difficult because... Well, it pushes a button. To right. A well, I mean... In which reading is no longer impossible or relevant, seemingly. But at the core of it, you know, let's take a moment to examine that we live in a time where the term infotainment, you know, mm-hmm. is something that we, you know, are being presented with constantly. And, you know, this whole barrage of information, whether or not it is factual... You know, it, I think it ties very much into the shock event, you know, which is something that certainly, you know, our president and his administration, they have capitalized on very much, you know, and I don't mean to be a conspiracy theorist because, you know, I am one, but <laughs> that's just how it goes. But for example, the day that the FBI raided Manafort's home looking for documentation or whatever they were looking for in his connection to the Russia investigation was the day that Trump tweeted about his ban of trans people serving in the military. You know, and this is something that people, we need to be willing to look for information that is going on underneath these great shock waves that are created as, you know, clickbait. Or You mean to say that the president and his allies at the top, distracted the public on purpose from the very backward step and shocking news of banning trans people from the military? Well, that, the, that I believe that it was created conveniently to deflect attention away from the, the Manafort raid. Well, now And that's just, you know, a, a singular sort of example of, of how... You know they are they are capable of manipulating media in a way that is much much different and you know given a medium like twitter where you are confined by the amount of strokes that you use or or you know whatever mm-hmm. characters that that you use you have to make your your point quickly and that's exactly the inf- it, it seems exactly the attention span that people have for information well, attention spans a big issue today, and being a meditation master, this is very important to me, as I can see how it's not just we don't have time to think, but we don't t- take time to think and reflect and ponder and contemplate, and then choose how, when, and if to respond. We just blindly react when our buttons are pushed, when knee-jerk reactions, or slogans, <clears throat> and captions, and so on. So I think I'm hoping that this is kind of a wake up call for us as we see how things are getting more and more divided and try to find the third way and a fourth way that we can uh, communicate and act together. Of course, we need systemic change. We need to think big and think globally, but also act locally, beginning with ourselves and each other. I'm wondering about the mass marches that have occurred and are occurring, and as I was part of those in the 60s and 70s, I'm worrying about their effect now, and even more so how to mobilize that through the new media, through the web, through the grassroots, people-to-people, web-based things, and how to influence positively uh, public opinion and and also uh, gather 
public feedback uh, and, and us will have a group voice together that we don't want this and this won't stand. Hopefully the investigations into collusion with Russia and election tampering and cronyism that's going on in Washington now will start to affect things and then we all have to speak up or write up or show up I well, think, in order to speak up change speak things. up speak up everybody has a voice now yeah. and you know and, and and through you know through the through the through the medium that we use right now anybody can say anything at any point in time and there's that's the whole thing about it is there's not a lot of weight behind a lot of the left right or center discourse that we have you know and it's we have to I think a, a lot of about living in the, in the time in which we live is that we live in, in, in a culture where we're constantly being observed. You know, if we look at Instagram or we look at Snapchat or we look at any of these mediums of social or, or, or the, these methods of social media that people are employing mm -hmm. just to or Google's just, tracking just, us. Everybody. Well, I mean that also. But I mean, you know, I don't I don't necessarily want to see what you ate for lunch. I don't want to see pictures of your animals. You know, I don't really care about your baby pictures either. No offense. But I think that, you know, people can say whatever they want, but we need to, we, I think that there needs to be more of a, a unified idea of what is going to help bring equality to people. And, and, uh, there, and I think that when we get to that, we can address the fears that, you know, that poor people, and in this, you know, in the, in the context of recent events, poor white people, you know, what, what are their concerns? Why, why is there, you know, why do we maintain this idea, you know, of, of racial bias? What do we think that people of color, what do we think that women are getting that white men aren't getting? You know, and why do people believe in the time in which we live that these people have gotten enough or they're just mm. takers or whatever. Or fear of immigrants. Or fear of immigrants, exactly. Which we all are. You know, so I think that, you know, through unification, people have to have very specific objectives about what it is that they want to see as change. You know, so for me, you know, one of the things that I like to think about is, you know, how do we share literacy? How do we get more people reading? And not just on the, you know, not just basic literacy, which many people do not have, mm -hmm. but you know, how do we how do we get them to understand the the difference between what is infotainment and what is information? You know, what are you know? Because again, you know, anyone who has done research or anyone who relies on research in their field knows that research is 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 what you get when you hire someone to find your point of view for you. <laughs> You know, yeah. so and, and I think that that's something that people don't always understand. But, you know, how do we get people and also, you know, with equality, we talk about financial literacy. How do people, you know, I know for myself, you know, I grew up in the social welfare system. I grew up in a single parent home. You know, we were on welfare. We lived in Section 8 housing, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, as a result of that, you know, you don't always learn the best ways to deal with money. You know, when we live in a system that does not teach people financial literacy, which is another, you know, system that is, you know, whether or not it's, you know, actively being employed to keep, keep people poor or it just does. No, it does. You know, it's but so, class, so, you know, there, thereby. So I think when we look for equality, if, if, if that's what we are trying to promote in people, we have to be a little bit open about what we, you know, but also, you know, to what people's needs are. And why, and you know, because people's needs are often based in fear as well as in necessity. So, I don't know.
I'm going into in in that sort of tangential direction. No, but you're talking about a unified voice and um, being heard and making a difference, and also education, which many would say is the silver bullet, but which America is falling way behind on internationally and for various reasons. And our current regime is not encouraging more of the information or arts or education, more the infotainment and the the Twitter feed, as we all know. Mm -hmm. um, since you mentioned the poor white, the the white people feeling challenged by immigrants and people of color, you know, the white working man or woman maybe have, has been disadvantaged to some extent in recent decades. And, but when they vote, they vote against their, often against their own interests, mm -hmm. like voting to bring back coal, which is never going to happen and the world has passed by and other things. And uh, when you talk about, you know, white, it just rings in my ears to think of what I just heard that and maybe you heard it too that the oldest survivor of Auschwitz just died yesterday and when I asked you where you said Joyzy I don't know Joyzy. I said I didn't know yeah I said so we don't we don't know but what we do see is that these things are not as far away from us as they seem no, I mean, and and yeah. you know, Nazis. It seems like in the foregone past, but then we saw the ugly head of racism and Nazi and the Confederate flag and hate crimes and other things happening more and more, and people seeming emboldened by this kind of backward step oh. to a kind of racial supremacy and racial fears. And fear, as we know, is a, a, a root of anger and hatred, which becomes violence. Yeah, and I think also, you know, as things pass from living memory, let's talk about um, the death of Israel Kristal, who who is, I believe, the name of the the oldest um, survivor of Auschwitz, who, who who just passed from this realm of existence. You know, we see, you know, and the the core of what the rally the rally in. Charlottesville was was you know that they were taking down the statue of Robert E. Lee, mm -hmm. and you know those you know a lot of these Confederate statues were erected between the 1880s and the 1920s when there you know when people who fought and lived during the Civil War era were were passing away they were their living memory of that conflict mm -hmm. and what that divide was was passing out so you have people who you know wanted to prop propagate. You know, remembrances Remember. of, the, of these types of things. The you know, colonial and slave, right? And I, you know, and it does not. I, I don't think that it's. You know, I think it's you know uncanny or perhaps you know, you know ironic or not that you know <laughs> that man died. You know, the day before or the day of that. That rally. That rally. You know, and like I, you know, like when we were talking earlier, you know, and I was saying, you know, when the universe opens up and, and creates a cosmic shit show, it's usually a cosmic shit show. It's <laughs> there's always more than one thing, you know. But I think that we have to be careful because we live in a time where people can create they can create a history of, that they like, you know, and they believe that the sure. persona that they create through social media or whatever it is, they believe that that's the facts of who they are. You know, I mean, if you, even if you look at like how people photograph themselves from above mm -hmm. when they do a selfie or, you know, duck arm or whatever the hell it was, I would have to ask 
some of our younger listener viewers what what was it duck duck arm duck face duck lips they give the lips of the duck in their selfie so i think well, they have it surgically there's made. a real there's a real belief that we can create a persona that reflects the reality of who we are and i think that is something that has been coming along ever since you know the baby boom and your yeah. your generation right. you know when there was absolute prosperity in a you know an unparalleled way that you know children grew up in a in a reality where th- where yeah. things were infinitely more possible yeah. you know and we got used to being entitled to that and being on top and having plenty of fat or leeway or credit on credit card yeah i mean look at the, and everybody getting college educated and being having international hegemony and all that but it's good we have a member of the uh, millennial generation here to fill us in about the, the duck lips and all because we each have our different perspectives and um, I, i'm thinking now also about this great movement from the sort of spiritual activist of 50s and 60s to the reagan era and, and and so on and and the era of i and entitlement and the kids coming home and living in their parents basements after college or whatever that means just as a social uh, phase and the difficulty in getting jobs and getting launched and becoming autonomous in, in your own life not just a little independent but really autonomous and working together on things and you know i, I talk about it as moving from uh, from me to we and we were the I generations and about me and self-improvement and self-development and individualism, you know, American individualism and pioneering spirit. But now the world is so interconnected, we have to move from me to we. And my work is partly attitude transformation and trying to be less selfish and train people to choose how to be less selfish and and greedy and give back what's theirs meaning not so much being with others minds and worries and take back what's ours and so we can be responsible not just guilty or over obliged and resentful but be responsible stewards of the planet and of society and be autonomous within interdependence not just like teenage independence disregarding all that goes into it, the network, the web, the support system, the safety net that we're in, our parents and our first world country, and even look at you, me, and our gen millennials here, white, college educated, and so on. You know, I've lived in the third world and worked in refugee camps and so on, so I know somewhat how the other mm-hmm. three quarters of the world lives. Mm-hmm. And even in China, which is such a rich and up-and-coming country, there's still the bare bulb over the wooden uh, table in the one or two room apartment for people who are professionals and doctors and so on. Not just for the top cat Communist Party capitalists, mm-hmm. but well, the rest of the people have leveled income and resources. So we are still so much living in, in, in the, 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 the good half, the best half, you know, the, the wealthier half. I mean, we have our own problems, and many of them are self-made, mm-hmm. psychological and social. Absolutely. But just talking on an outer level, which is easier to measure and to see. 
So I think the movement from me to we has to occur to get over this partisan divide we have in politics and in religions. Religion's supposed to be forced to unite. Religio means to unite, but it's become a problem in our world, even terrorists and so on. In well, the name I mean, of, you know, yeah. In the name of God, which is such a contradiction. And other things that we see today, it's a real problem. And I think if we don't work on our attitudes and work from inside out as well as outside in, that we're really just um, spinning our wheels. It's, yeah, and I think that that's, you know, I'm not a person of a particular um, faith tradition or religious belief. And, you know, I know you outside of your role that you played to many people. I don't know you as Lama, you know, so I, it's always interesting when we have had conversations before because I don't, not that I don't have a reverence for um, people's beliefs and, you know, their tradition and how they come to inform themselves of the world, but I don't always understand, um, from where I come from, I don't ever tend to see a real positive effect of faith, you know, or even practice. And I think that that is partly because of the world in which we live. Everybody, you know, certainly within Western traditions, everyone is concerned with the purity bug. I'm more this <laughs> than you are, you know, and we, I think that we saw this a lot, you know, certainly in the last election, you know, when, you know, I'm more conservatively pure than you are, or I am more, you know, liberally pure than you, than you are. So my, I have questions for you, you know, within, um, within the community that you are part of and the community that you, you serve, how do people get to the point, you know, like, what is, what does your faith say about how we deal with the passing of someone like Heather Hare? You know, someone who has really, you know, unwittingly given her life mm -hmm. for a cause. Mm -hmm. She just showed up to raise her voice, right. you know, and, and I don't think that she was going there, you know, as an activist of, of, of the magnitude of... Martyr herself. Right, of, you know, of, of, of MLK yeah. Jr. Yeah. Or, or whatever. You know, I don't, I don't think that that, you know, was, the, that yeah. was her intention on that day to go out and be an actual martyr. How do, how, what does your tradition say about honoring these things? And also, what does your tradition say? Is there ever a time and a place where there is such a thing as right violence within your tradition? When people stand up to an oppressive power, how do, how do, and I think, because I think that's, that's really the position where a lot of us find ourselves in this week, how do we react and what action can we take? And how do we cope with with the anger, which is translating more often than not into actual violence? Well, take it, brother. Preach. That's a big question. I like a big question. And an evergreen question throughout the centuries and decades and probably millennia. You, you, you carefully use the word right, anger, the word that we usually hear in the Judeo-Christian discourse over the generations is righteous anger, which makes it a little more complicated. And so, pure. Exactly. Extreme. Mm -hmm. And then sets us and them apart and then heaven and earth apart when they're so connected. Um, this has been discussed a lot in 
our community, we don't call it a faith community because mm -hmm. Buddhism doesn't require faith. It's more of a practice or a, a way of life and you experiment and you discover for yourself what, what's true. But in our uh, spiritual community, in our beloved community, our sangha, our satsang, and beloved community was Martin Luther's term, Martin Luther King Jr.'s term. When 9-11 happened, I was here in Boston, and I was a big watermark for a lot of us in this kind of discussion about do you, what do you do with the anger, with the rage, with the sense of unfairness of those thousands of people dying, quote, almost at random, who happened to be in those buildings, and also that we were bombed right in our country. And when they asked the great uh, Vietnamese master Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a refugee in France since the Vietnam War time, uh, he's a Vietnamese Zen master, monk, teacher, very learned, no, nominated for the Nobel Prize, Peace Prize by Martin Luther King. Thich Nhat Hanh said, uh, people said, what would you do about Osama bin Laden? And Thich Nhat Hanh counterintuitively said, I think start by some listening. So that's a pretty radical statement of like, maybe we haven't been listening well enough. Maybe we haven't been noticing that this has been going on for generations in uh, Ireland, in the Balkans, this kind of terrorist bombing, in uh, Palestine, and, and elsewhere to numerous, to remember suddenly it happens in our country and all of a sudden it's a huge wake up call. So as you were saying before, when it rains, it pours. There's a lot going on this week, including the big eclipse next Monday, which Mercury in, retrograde. in Buddhism we consider a very auspicious interconnection. Mm -hmm. And whatever we do, positive or negative, is uh, said to be multiplied 100 or 1,000 times. So we try to pray and make vows and aspirations at that time or do good deeds like feeding hungry people or helping people. But the negative could also be multiplied. Anyway, so I think when it rains, it pours, but this is not the time for snoring. This is the time for awakening. And I want to go back one and second. Not to... awakening, just following the anger. But anger is just a feeling and an emotion and energy. and doesn't need to be suppressed. We have to healthily process it before it becomes hatred, feuds, vendettas of generation, rage, and wars. Mm -hmm. And root the seeds of anger out of our heart. That's what Buddha taught that nobody can get you anger if you don't have seeds of angry, if you don't have seeds of anger in your heart. So you might have pain, but you don't suffer or react or make it worse in the same way. You might have a headache, but you don't make it into a migraine by stressing and making yourself more tense. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to something that you were saying because you brought up 9-11. And I think it's very interesting, you know, uh, for many people, it was the first uh, active declaration of war, if you will, upon, you know, the American continent. The isolated continent. The isolated continent. And the unity that we were asked, you know, to partake in, what was the only thing that the American populace was asked to do? was to shop, consume, right. Right. go out and spend. Go back to work. You know, right. and... And normalcy. And how do, you know, we... And I think that's really become sort of, you know, the standard of it. And unfortunately, you know, we live in a world now where, you know, that's... 
I wanted to make a bumper sticker that says, you know, vote with something besides your dollar, you know, but unfortunately, you know, we're, we've been cut off a little bit from that because it's the only real, uh, it's the only real thing that people listen to is the bottom line of it. But, you know, and I think that that was an also, also that was a, a, a big point in our culture. You know, we decided that sacrificing, you know, civil liberties you know, for whatever amount of safety they were going to give us was important when you look at things like the Patriot Act and all mm -hmm. of the, you know, the omnipresent monitoring, which we yeah. live with now. And, you know, not only from the government, but from our phones, you know, and the, con yes, the convenience that we have of, you know, wanting right. to know where we can get a, a deal on pairs is also, you know, going to, you know, tell us whether or not, you know, Amazon really liked buying Whole Foods. You know, what, is it, what does all that mean? You know? Nothing. It means that we, you know, we will give up our entire identity so that we don't have to, you know, go and get a deal on pairs with our legs. Mm -hmm. I love that. Or discriminate. Yeah. And or so the subject and just make a decision. Right. So and, and I think that that's part of, you know, bringing it back to how people consume information, you know, whether, you know, they, they John Oliver um, on his show on HBO did a little bit on Alex Jones. And for those of us who don't know who Alex Jones is, he's kind of an extreme left, or excuse me, extreme right podcaster. He, you know, believes that, you know, um, there, there are people that are putting things in the water to make frogs gay, all kinds of stuff, stuff. But what Oliver brought to the fore was, you know, he has this three-hour podcast and like 70% of it is promoting merchandise, you know, where you can get like your Bill Clinton rape whistle, or you can get, you know, all of these products that, you know, essentially support, you know, right wing ideology, you know, prepping for your doomsday scenario. It's scary. It's terrifying. Your heart in the middle of all of this conspiracy and rain of, of, of vinegar. There's also the sunlight pouring down. There's half the glass that's full and half that's empty. Are you sure? Yeah. This is a baby I, boomer thing. I right like here. to say there's three, quarter, three quarters of the glasses. I try to see the three quarters of the glass that's full, not just the half that's empty. Oh, really? What about the one quarter that's backwash, baby? <laughs> well, that's back to paying attention and being mindful of whether you let stuff wash back in your mouth when you drink or... You know, in, coming back into your toilet, whether you have a backflow valve so your house doesn't flood. And opening your heart takes a lot of attention and awareness. And sometimes I think that the media is you know, increasingly distracting and fracturing our energy and attenuating our attention span, shortening our attention span. So I think uh, I, I usually advise people who come to me like my students, followers, uh, disciples, you know, people who are interested who ask to have a media fast maybe one day a week or half a day a week, mm -hmm. just like they fast from working on the Sabbath or something like that, just to get some perspective and touch the earth or be outside or be with their loved ones or their pets or their muse, their art form, use their hands, <coughs> take Excuse a rest. Me. Empty out their heads, not become a simpleton, but I practice consciously emptying out my head into the bodies of water when I do uh, co-meditate with water, and to meditate with the pond out there or the lake, the river, the sound. 
And I think it's important to get some balance. And I think that's what this time is lacking. And you were saying before, uh, John Oliver, the left, the right wing commentator, I mean, the left wing, it's often hard to tell which wing they are because both, they become very extreme out of toward the, the edges. And the middle way or, uh, is a touchstone for me. Not either or, but both and. And of course, I'm Did in the media. Did you say both and? Yes. Excellent. I, Thank you. Both and, yes. And I'm in the media myself. We're podcasting now. I'm, I, I publish things. I have social media, mm -hmm. which I can barely understand being Fred Flintstone at heart, but trying to. Uh, Whatever, Barney. Sure. Fred, are you? Reach. Fred, are you? Yabba dabba do. Some okay. people say that's they got that from Tibetan. Speaking Tibetan, I know. Yapudu means very good in Tibetan. So yabadabadu. That's a, a side for you. I love that, no, baby. Always. That was great. Yeah. But we are have to deal with the media. It doesn't mean it has to ruin our attention span. You know, how much television do you let the kids watch or Xbox or um, the screen, whatever it is, <laughs> the iPad? Uh, how much is healthy and how much isn't? Uh, how much... And, and for adults also, do we need the news... People used to read the news once a day, mm -hmm. get the mail, and save it to do it on the weekend. Now we're doing it every minute, every five minutes, checking and being tuned in like we might miss something. And there's very, very little room for any kind of noble silence or noble solitude, not just loneliness, but noble solitude or interiority. We're so externalized, which becomes the consumer mentality you were mm -hmm. talking about before, David. So little self-worth and self-value. As one of my Tibetan lamas said, don't you people have any battery inside? Mm -hmm. You always seem to have to be plugged into all the walls through every orifice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was where it got funny. Through every orifice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, but that was the point. Don't we have anything inside to go on? And maybe we could cultivate that a little as balance to the extreme extroversion. And materialist uh, cool. con consumerism and looking outside for what we think we want and need. And as the song goes, looking for love in all the wrong places. Mm -hmm. No wonder why we're dissatisfied so much and frustrated so much of the time. Well, like my mother used to anxiety. say, David, not everyone's going to love you. And I think that that's something that people need to uh, hear a little more in this world of it. Because it's not, you know... Me, whether or not I love somebody doesn't really, you know, uh, determine a broader respect for them as an, an individual. You know, love is a highly, highly subjective thing for people, individual people, right? So I think that there's... You can love people that you don't like or respect, is that what you're saying? I think love's a really wonky word, you know, and the, the part of it that is, uh, you know, brain chemistry is mm -hmm. the wonkiest part of all, right? Yeah. So I think that we, people need to really kind of be careful about the sort of great unilateral love because it's, it's also, we like to believe that everything that we, does, we do exists without motivation if we are pure in some way or we have some egalitarian, you know, motive. But, you know, that's, we need to kind of get, you know, move past the purity if we're really going to uh, truly respect people as well as love them because i think respect is is a is a bigger door to open than love you know and i think that that's maybe my it's my tricky western understanding you know 
having come by phrases like, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner, you know, I'm like, no, just, I don't, you know, I think that that's, it's condescending and it's, you know, it's not always, you know, right-minded. Sometimes you have to accept people for exactly what they are, you know, and then, you know, find a discourse within that kind of thing. So I don't, I don't, I, don't, I went off on a little tangent there, but I'm not really sure, you know, about... Well, you've taken to task one of the main principles of almost all the religions, judge the sin and not the sinner. Mm. So I will differ with you on that. Yay! But to go back to, so how do you define respect since you're placing it above or bigger than love? Admittedly, love is a wonky word and there's many kinds of love. Love, lust, infatuation, puppy love, fraternal love, maternal love, paternal love, love your Filial, brother. Filial, Yeah, I'm just saying, right? There's mm -hmm. I love chocolate and there's I love my only child and using the same word it's a little uh, loose like finger painting ain't fine art but it's cool so how what is this respect that you talk about because what i what i my, get from it is my way seeing, of, seeing others is like myself then i can see that they want need more or less what i right. want but they're after it in, in their different ways because of their background and conditioning whether you call it karma or nurture and nature but going after it in different ways, including Donald Trump. How are we including him? Because everybody is looking for more, is, you know, instinctively feeling towards the sun, even though growing in different ways, according to what kind of plant or animal, you know, they are, just to use the, the metaphor of chlorophyll-based green plants. My mind is a world with shitty things to say about Donald Trump. I know, so keep I'm going, trying to keep going, keep going. how you keep love going. your enemy, if you want to like exaggerate and say he's our enemy, just as an example. No, he's our enemy. He's my enemy. He's, he's not my enemy, but he's I work on mind. loving you know, the difficult or accepting. And once I accept, then I can more objectively think about how to deal with it. Otherwise, denial creeps in. I don't deal with it. Mm -hmm. in sync. Okay. So acceptance has its own potent transformative magic, I found. So, but I see that others, you know, he's trying to something that we all are. It's like all the plants are trying to grow. He's even looking though they're for his narcissistic ways. supply for the second that he's living in. Well, we all are to some extent. <laughs> In different degrees, perhaps. Him, yeah. Well, it, I mean, spectrum, I will. I will agree with you that it is all a, a matter of degree, not a, kind. Exactly. It's a spectrum from neurotic to pathological to you know worse. To it could be criminal, mm -hmm. psychotic, you know, and so on, psychopath. But we all have you know, the ego, uh, individual survival instinct, and um, self-referential way of being but we're not all egotistical bastards or we might be looking into it schizophrenic uh, or narcissist no, sure. is okay but not. just to say mm -hmm. so you can still love someone as creation is in them and living through them growing through them but judge the sinner the cronyism the selfishness the the uh, meretricious talk as if he's going to have like we used to say in the 80s and eat bring... the rich they taste good anyway i i can't Could you explain I, that that's uh, it, it's a pleasure to differ with well you. <laughs> eat the rich they taste awesome. i miss the 80s i was in the, i know in i know monastery. i know eat the rich they taste good tell me well is I this just, a kind of a, a modern sushi um 
Like, there's nothing modern about Tatar, baby. The rights of animals, we should equally have human sushi? What are you saying? Um, what I'm rich in what way? Um, Are you about material rich or what kind? I of am rich? yes. Well, I'm not. I'm. I'm and, and, and you know me. You know. I'm. It's all about. Yeah, material. I'm not about a scalpel. I prefer a cleaver and you know, <laughs> tiny canvas giant brush. Here I go. So that's you know my way. But um, and in, in that <laughs> way, Trump and I are very similar. Exactly. Um, <laughs> eat the rich; they taste good. Eat the rich; they t- they they taste that's good. That's the root. Text, well, I, I think I think in the in the in the eighties there was a, a very different idea of what and where wealth was coming from. You know, we heard terms like welfare queen for the first time, and it was you know the right was really trying to down. dismantle all of the social programs that had been oh, hard wrought oh. in the in the sixties and seventies. It's happening again, and it is happening again, but it's bigger now. And it's different because, you know, part of how we live in our culture and in the West, we live, but in America in particular, we live in a highly aspirational culture, you know, where everything, and, and look at how we consume, you know, how old is my phone, you know, and not very. not very, right? You know, I mean, I know that we had the same phone from the time when we got a phone, which I think was, we got a phone maybe in 1970, because I, you know, I remember getting a phone when we were three. We had the same phone from the time I was three until the yeah. time I was 12, right. you know, and it only broke Attached because my mother, threw, my mother threw it at my sister. It wasn't, it was, it was a rotary, but it was <laughs> on a cord and she could throw it at my sister and so one day or something like this. Good. Anyway, so, you know, at, at the rate that we replace you know, technology is sort of, you know, or I'm talking with my friend Robin, you know, she, she like had a refrigerator for 30 years and she was upset because she got a refrigerator and it only lasted four. Well, planned obsolescence. In the, as we know. In planned obsolescence. And, and this not only is true, but, you know, it, it's also in people's, um, their political identity, you know, but it's, it's for the, for purposes of expediency that we shift our views. You know, and well, it's in other cycles, like people changing jobs every five years. Right, but I was I was talking about the eighties. Or marriage, less than half the marriages lasting in, in the nineties. Whatever one and the late nineties in particular, you saw all of this consumer credit come into the market. People in the eighties, you know, their kids didn't have money to run out and get a new freaking phone, and their parents wanted them out the fucking door at eighteen. Man, what the fuck are you talking about living at home? No, thank you. Get out. You know, so I think that there's, you know, that we, where we live with so much credit, people believe that there is a monetary wealth that is attainable, that is not backed up by hard currency, you know, gold in the treasury, silver like, in the like bank, whatever. They're going to win the lottery if they keep buying lottery tickets. That's exactly. going to pay you off the debts. You know, and that also... And we're treating the environment like that, too. We treat the environment like that. And look at all of the entertainment that people absorb. These fucking Kardushians. Are you freaking kidding me with this? You know, you have a big ass. You know, and that entitles you to have, you know... What the fuck is going on? You know, are you are you freaking serious? You know, what about what about these these girls from from Boko Haram? You know, let's talk about values here. Let's talk about achieving something. You know, let's let's talk about getting out of a culture. Really, you know, so we're we're gonna we're gonna tweet about our freaking surgery. Are you are you what? So I think that there's a lot of of you know part of the part of the deficit of our culture is that we believe that 
you know, we have a very Warholian kind of thing. Everyone's going to have their 15 fucking minutes. Mm -hmm. Could it just be 15, though, please? Does it have to be four and a half years of your ass? You know? And so I think that there, there's a lot of these ideas of um, individualism and transcendence are actually ideas of commerce and product. You know, we buy everything. And look at, you know, these, look at these kids coming home to live with their parents after college. Their parents were sold education as a consumer product. You know, I don't want my kid to work as hard as, as I to guess what they're not going to, you know, unless they're going to make their own soaps and try and have an art therapy practice. No offense, anyone. But, you know, so I think that there's, there, you know, we have we've created a monster in the, in, the, in the promotion of wealth, you know, as a virtue. You know, it's not, a, it's not, it's not, it's, not it, you know, it's an accident of birth, just like beauty. It's not a virtue. It's not, you know, and it can be monetized and commoditized. And that's, you know, definitely reality we've lived with through time memorial. But, you know, but people knew it, you know, you were, you're just beautiful or you're just rich. You know, no, these are now, these are now values. The people that people those to have. I'm sorry, I got very off. Anyone can. No, but then I still like to hear if you want to literally say, eat the rich. I do eat the rich. If there's something there, is that like um, in Southeast Asia, in Cambodia, kill all the intellectuals and people with glasses, so the people can take over and getting rid of one, half of the population because they're educated. Wait, so... Get, kill the rich? Eat the rich? What? Grok the rich so that you become the rich? I'm not interested in... I don't want to be rich. What does eat the rich mean well. in the 80s since you were there? I was meditating. I voted with my meditation cushion. I was abroad. Nice. I missed the whole Reagan. As one of my activist lawyer friends, Steve Schwartz, said, Syria sat out the entire Reagan administration. Then he added, I mean literally, on a meditation cushion. In, I'm sorry, what's the question? <laughs> what does it mean to, the, in the 80s we said eat the rich? What, how do we deal with that? Well, you're familiar with like greed Thinking. is good, right? Sure. This was, you know, another right, the, another theme the King of, Wall Street of the 80s. And Gordon right. Gecko or yes. whoever it was yes. who, right. said, who, who said this. Yes, there were a lot of people who were not going a provocative to... provocative statement. Who were not going to achieve and the culture was changing in such a way that you know the difference between we'll say my sister born in 1959 and myself born in 1967 these people who were sort of at the tail end of the baby boom you know they were able to accomplish things that people of my generation had to work a lot harder for and there wasn't necessarily going to be a social infrastructure there to help them so, for example, you know, my sister and her husband, they worked very, very hard. They definitely did. But they were both able to, you know, get middle class jobs with a high school education. They were able to move into, to, you know, you know, my sister worked as an electronics assembler and then, you know, an overseer of production mm -hmm. and these kinds of things. These kinds of jobs yeah, were, were definitely available. But right. the aspiration was that, you know, rather than raise up everybody, you know, we don't want to pay taxes. And that's, you know, kind of what the whole kind of Reagan movement was also about, you know, and also Herbert Walker Bush, 
you know, read my lips, you know, read my, my broccoli eating motherfucking lips or broccoli hating. I can't remember if he either loved or hated broccoli. Um, oh, but he said no more taxes. No new taxes, yeah. which is, you know, is something that, you know, society cannot main, yeah. maintain. And there were a lot of people who were, were rising, mm -hmm. but that rising tide was not lifting all boats as the saying right. used to go. Yes. You know, and part of it was because there was a whole culture that was obsessed with creating financial products. You know that were about helping people invest you know moving money around not creating wealth at home necessarily but where could we put our money offshore That's cayman islands switzerland or making up wealth like en right enron fake stocks and it was not cool to be wealthy in the, in the 80s if you were young like it is now it was not cool to wear anything that had a freaking label on it much less have the word juicy across your fucking sweatpants you know or whatever you know so and also when i when i when i talk about these things one of the things that i think about and that gets into my um my recent kind of program and fashion that i did you know when we think about what is when we talk about sustainability you know who has what you know and what what is that how do we get that more like so um i had to do a a, a research paper on um, sustainable fashion and what I found that this was just a buzzword for high fashion because you know it wasn't sustainable fashion was expensive fashion and it was something that really you know Kim yeah. Kardashian could afford but not you know this a, a, a single mother of yeah. three right. who wants to make a sustainable choice what choice does she have used clothing hmm. you know it's already so you know and is is I mean that's it's not well, a bad option. That's what we do with but... commercialism of, of good ideas to sell more. Right. Like the word mindfulness is now stuck in front of everything. So right. mindful. Right. Like-minded. Like oh my god. And uh, of like mind. I guess your next project should be mindful fashion. I don't think anybody's thought of that. Everybody's yet. working on it. Actually, there are a lot of people who are thinking about it. But it doesn't mean that it's meaningful. I remember when George Bush, the son, um, used the word compassionate conservatism. All of us who are in the sort of loving kindness and compassion, altruism, charitable side of the street, we said, oh, man, the, the meaning has gone out of the word compassion now. Compassion, conservative. Well, like literally. Meant like, <laughs> yeah. All boats are, you know, all boats are rising, but only the people who can afford boats, boats are rising. exactly, exactly. Otherwise, the water's rising and the other people are under right, it. Right, right, right. And their mortgages are under yeah, it. Yeah, their life is bang the dash. Point. How do you feel about it? A million it? houses lost on those funny mortgages. So, is there any hope? Always. Because I have a hope. And, and since 9-11, since I've been paying more attention to the news. Remember, I was out of the country for 20 years in Asia, in the 70s and 80s, part of the 90s. And the news is usually bad, but not all. There's good news. It depends no. what your news source is. And there's also things going on around the sun's coming up and the rabbits are out there, I see. And that's a good news. Mm -hmm. It depends what you mean by news, like Thoreau. Our erstwhile neighbor of Walden Pond fame said, I'd rather tune into the timeless than to the news. So I've been trying to turn into the news because I feel responsible to know a little more what's going on and being an informed voter and citizen now that I live in this country and a spiritual leader and then people rely on me and ask me things and run panels and in public. And it's very uh, saddening, if not depressing. If it bleeds, it leads, and, and, and so on. Nobody's reporting any of the good things that some of us know are happening in our communities. It's not that 
often it's reported. But um, counterintuitively, whenever I see a young person looking, to, not that they're perfect, you know, like we were. None of us as were the perfect. Song goes. Wait, we were whenever perfect. I see a young person, I, I irrationally feel optimism from the, their energy and their buoyant energy and eyes. So I think that's where the hope is, not just with the young, but with us and the young energy. You know, nature's growing up through all of us of any age. And that's what we would call like spirit or something. But what did Arthur Rimbaud say? That genius is the ability to recall childhood at will. And I think that that's, you know, in his time it made sense, but in our time I'm not sure it makes so much sense. Well, no, but what he's talking about, the great French poet Rimbaud, um, was talk he's talking about the inner child, the, the mm -hmm. little Buddha, the little Jesus, the uncorrupted, Inner, Honey boo -boo. inner light oh, that's prior to, not just in his time, but that's deeper, that's prior to our defense mechanisms, that's prior to our personality and character mm -hmm. flaws and, and our persona and our act in the world. That's still there, that innate, pure, dare I ask you, purity of heart. Were you afraid of monsters when you were little? Uh, no. Never? Mm. Okay. I'm just asking. I was the big brother. Oh, so you could show your fear of monsters. I, you I'm just any. telling you, I was the oldest child, so I wasn't really, I, fear wasn't my thing. I could do anything, and I was in sports, and, you know, I used to go, in, I was the first one to go in the basement before the other kids, and not be afraid of the dark, and I handled the lawnmowers, and, you know, the public. I don't know. I don't know that much about fear. Okay. I have more, like, the other kind of way of seeing what's possible, and trying to magnetize it or help it happen, give birth to it, like creative, and bring things together and uh, create a space for others also to find that, rather than fear of what could go wrong or monsters. What, were you afraid of monsters? What, yes, but monsters? Well, I mean, because... I mean, I've met some monstrous, monstrous people in monstrous situations. You can imagine all, all types of things when you have a... Uh, child-like frame of reference and um, all things oh, you're referring all to things being bow well not that's like a child well yeah I, I mean I think that that all things fantastical you know live in the imagination of a child and that's, there's yeah you know wherever they're you know I think a, a, a great part of the the purity dilemma that we live with is that it's very hard for us to acknowledge our own darkness Dark side, yeah. it's hard to right. for us to accept that we can create the golem within us yes you know and but it also that there is and can be purpose legitimate purpose to you know to the darkness that we the have golem within is us. within all of us mm -hmm. but you know do we feed the golem or do we feed that light being i don't know it depends on what he's eating well, I think it depends on what we want to nourish and become. See, you say potato, I say, let's eat the tomato. It's delicious. And I'd it's rather red. eat the tomato and than it's the rich. Red. No, sorry. But I'm not a vegetarian, it's just my preference. Uh, but I would say that um, Arthur Rambeau, the great poet, was referring to something like what Jesus said, you know, to become like a, a child again. It doesn't mean to become childish, it means to become childlike. Like, we all have that purity or innocence inside underneath the scars and wounds of outrageous fortune mm -hmm. our character 
our defense mechanisms and so on. That's what Wait, are you talking about slings and arrows? Yes. Okay, good. Very Just good, second. thank you. That's why I love talking to you. Because I remember the slings and the arrows? Because you... Because I bring slings and arrows Cause you to can, your light being? You can edit my lageria, okay. my endless word barrage, and give me the right quote. You're better than Google. Uh, As one of my friends complained. Facts used to matter. Oh, People used to ask, he was a retired rabbi, people used to ask us rabbis, you know, Rabbi Levine and Rabbi, so now they ask Rabbi Google. Google. Yeah, they used to call me Google at work. They'd be like, David, blah, blah. And I'm like, uh -huh. And they'd be like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah. And it was winter. And they were like, oh, really? Mm. Well, it's Google now. It'll be something else, or it is already soon that I haven't heard about. But uh, I'm also interested in, like, Thoreau, the timeless, not just the news of today. On the other hand, living in the now is the only place we can be. So that's the balance point back to the middle way. Being here now and also in touch with the bigger picture that will be gone soon enough. And life goes on. Mm -hmm. It's not just about me, myself and I, or me and mine, mm -hmm. or us, which brings them. So I think that's where the hope is. But um, I, I also fear for the kind of world we're leaving our children and the next descendants, the environment, the socioeconomic injustice and gaps. Well, don't buy so them iPods. Forth. Give them wooden toys. Yeah, less, less batteries in the landfill. Back to the woods, as Thoreau said, I'd rather sit on a pumpkin than a throne. You remember Alan Sherman? Yes. Okay. Live like Thoreau did yeah. discussing what's with Cuba there. Uh, never mind. Sorry. Yes. Well, now we can visit Cuba. Or maybe we can't. Maybe we can't. But we will again. Thank you very much. Thank you for David having Fisher. me. Thank you for having me. Hairdresser to the gods and goddesses of Cambridge. Some of them, yeah, absolutely. And the others too. Okay. Tune in again to the Awakening Now podcast. I have at least 40 podcasts here on the Be Here Now network, inspired by Ram Das, spiritual pioneer and light bringer, our dear old friend Ram Das. And blessings to one and all. Jesus.